Welcome everybody. This is our second LinkedIn Live of 2021. Uh, Tribal Impact and Analytica, we put on a social advocacy series for employees who are extremely influential in their own organizations. So today we're delighted to welcome Timo Elliott, who's a global innovation evangelist at SAP. So a very warm welcome to you, Timo. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Great. And uh, and and really, just uh, it would be great to tell the audience who are listening just just your journey on how you you went from uh, probably social media novice to where you are now, and uh, yeah, so that we can all take inspiration from from how you made it. Great. Uh, well, hello everyone. Uh, so I'm an innovation evangelist for SAP. So slightly different profile for some of the people that you've had on the previous sessions. So my job is to work with customers on the leading edge of innovation, gather the lessons learned, and then bring that back and communicate it to as many people as possible so we can be all more successful. So basically, I'm my job is to be interesting and I'm passionate about the power of data to transform the world of work. Uh, Timo, you and I go back a little way, don't we? <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking of Sapphire now when we worked together um, on the, at the back. Do you remember we did the social program? So, That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, you you were so I often use you as a bit of an example. So both Timo and I used to work at SAP together and we we did a bit of a social campaign around one of their big events. Um, and I, I always use you as a bit of an example because you were doing social before it actually became a big thing. I mean, I always remember you being one of the absolute first at this at SAP. Can you remember the tipping point when you started thinking, hold on, what, what is all this about? Because you were a very early adopter. So my background is uh, is product marketing, uh, competitive marketing, working with uh, industry an analysts and so on. And so social media was from the very beginning an opportunity to talk to those audiences, keep track of what they were talking about, um, try and figure out what they wanted to hear more about. I mean, I'm a big believer that you have to start with what's interesting. I talk about ROI equals return on interesting. And there's a lot of discussion nice. in social media about, you know, the systems and the metrics and the analytics. And that's important, but sometimes it gets in the way of what I believe is truly fundamental, which is being interesting and useful and really knowing your customers in the first place. Um, so social media was a, an extension of that from the very beginning. I love that, the, especially considering your thing, your whole thing is around analytics. And it's like, yeah, the analytics are there, but social is actually about the human interaction. <laughs> Well, interesting enough, I've, so I've spent 30 years in the data and analytics industry, and that's given me a healthy skepticism uh, for, for metrics. Uh, so analytics, don't get me wrong, is really important. But when you start giving people, rewarding people based on KPIs, then you often end up with um, counterproductive uh, behaviors. And unfortunately, I think you can end up seeing that in the social world. One of your previous guests surprised me by saying that um, he suggested that you give a KPI to people in your organization to force them to write blogs. I Honestly, I think that's a spectacularly bad idea, personally. <laughs> I believe that when you read uh, a blog piece or a social media or even a tweet, you can tell one of three things. Either the person really wanted to write that because they were interested and passionate and wanted to share something, or they have been forced to do it, the opposite extreme, or in the middle, somebody who's trying to like 
click all the metrics. You know, they've carefully written the title to hit the SEO and get as many retweets as possible. And they're, they're checking and they're figuring out what time to write that tweet. And I think um, like the, the last case where people, the, the case where people are just being forced to do it, that's clearly bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first case, if you've got somebody who's passionate about it, I think that's sort of almost a guarantee that it's interesting content for at least some group of people. And the middle, though, I think is dangerous because you can end up with um, AstroTurf, uh, spam, um, marketing mush, just oceans of clickbait. And we've seen this on social media in general, is that if yeah. you just try and feed the machine, you end up with something that there's no there there. Um, it, it's what I sometimes call just marketing, as yeah. in, you know, no, no, I want real content, not just marketing. So I think the right combination is the first two. So you have to have somebody who's passionate about something, who really has something interesting to say. Then you combine it with the metrics. Those two together work well. Uh, but so how, how did you start, Timo, like, uh, understanding what, how to sort of connect your passion to social media? Was it, was it a natural thing? Like how, many, how long did it take you to, to feel like you were you're investing good time in social media, that it was paying off for you? So, uh, and I sometimes get asked this because I, I love my job. Other people seem to like the idea of doing my job. So how do you become a technology evangelist? I actually wrote a blog post on this. It's one of the highest, talking about um, social media, is one of the highest blogs on my website is how to become a technology amb- an evangelist. And one of the ways you do it is by doing it slowly. You, ha- you, you cannot, can't get hired as an evangelist to do this kind of job full time. You have to do it first. And then eventually, if a company sees that you've got, they're getting some benefit out of it, then they'll let you do more and more of it. And that's exactly what happened to me. I slowly spent more time of my spare time on social media and blogging and so on. And then eventually, and it took a decade, I was allowed to do that full time. <laughs> it took a decade. It might be a bit quicker for those that are watching. Um, hi, Ricky. Mean, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't an explicit goal. It was just um, another way of putting it is I failed at everything else. So <laughs> I ended up doing social media evangelism. I don't think that. But I think your journey is fascinating. And also, if anybody's watching on LinkedIn Live, hello. It takes a few minutes for this thing to warm up. Hi, Keith and Ragu. If you have a question for Timo, pop it in there because we can put it to him. Um, Keith already makes a great point about authenticity is is very important in social media. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. (laughs) Is that what it is? I love that. Fake authenticity is the the title. Feed the machine, marketing mush. I'm I'm just hearing it all now. Um, I love that, though. You know, and your journey, I think, is one that I what you've hit on there, Timo, is it is something I haven't been able to explain before, which is stop trying to be someone. If you just let go of all that baggage of how many times you're supposed to tweet and how many what's supposed to be in there and actually if you just let go of all of that and just be you, um, you'll be really surprised how many people want to be part of that conversation. And um and then you start to formulate your own area, your own uh, specialism and people follow you for that and then you become an evangelist and in its own right and look look where that that takes you you get a job out of it it's brilliant so and of course well then the triangulation is of course you have to talk about what you find interesting but it has to be what other people find interesting too right yeah. so especially i mean i i work for an organization that pays me to to help customers be more successful in ways that you know a win-win hopefully um and 
And so a big part of what I do is try and make sure that I am spending lots of time with customers. Now, uh, so I used to, just to give you an idea of what it would look like. So most of the time I would be, um, so I'm French, oh, by the way, I'm based in, in Paris. And most of the time this would be me on stage. Uh, I used to go to 40 or 50 conferences a year doing keynote presentations, talking about how the latest technologies can lead to win-win-win opportunities where we can improve customer outcomes and increase efficiency <laughs> and help make the world a better place all Sounds at the wonderful. same time I know. i'm buying um, where do i buy <laughs> <laughs> you know it's all about data transforming everything we wow. do um so i used to do a lot of that um but of course they cancel all the conferences or rather they put them all online so a, a big part of my job though remains working with um with doing online presentations the downside is i don't get to get coffee with people in the breaks mm. and i don't get to have those conversations about so you know what are your concerns what are you working on what are the areas that uh, that we can potentially help you with going forward so that's one of the challenges i have right now is you have to engage to be engaging how do you engage with people really in a virtual world it's a little bit harder than it used to be so, so, so what can, oh, can i just ask um sorry sorry can what's your what's your strategy team like day to day on you know linkedin and twitter do you have a do you have a routine do you just post when you feel like posting, you know, it would just be great to, to hear your approach to it. So yes, a strategy is a very big word. <laughs> um, so yes, I don't really have a strategy. I probably should have a strategy. I don't approach it in a um, uh, quantitative way in any aspect. I do approach it from a qualitative point of view that I'm constantly trying to figure out what is, yeah, what is interesting? Um, interesting is just a great term. It can be useful, it can be funny, it can be unusual. Again, I, I believe there's the sea of marketing mush. I mean, I don't know about you, but do you find most a lot of B2B technology marketing interesting? Oh, no, honestly. And as, over the last 12 months as well, given this lockdown, there's just been a whole overload of content that just is not relevant. I, I, and I can say that, right, because I work in marketing. So, um, <laughs> hi, Dave, by the way, you've joined us as well. I'm sure you've got questions. So, yeah. So, so yes. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm really spending a lot of time. So my strategy, if, if anything, is to try and figure out what the, what the potential audience finds interesting. And a, a big chunk of that is um, is other people being successful. I mean, the, the one thing I spend a lot of time on is finding those examples of organizations that are doing something new. Because mm -hmm. uh, let's face it, everybody would like to innovate, but it's a lot harder than we make it sound. And so uh, stories about what other people have done, ideally, what problems they ran into and how they overcame those problems. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that people are fundamentally interested in. They're certainly a lot more interested in that than they are interested in hearing about my company's products or how great yeah. we are or anything like that. So that's how I spend my time. Is that a strategy? I'm not sure. <clears throat> I think it's probably Definitely. morphed into your DNA to the point where you can't actually recognize your strategy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Just, uh, first and foremost, though, Timo, you put that background thing that you've got going on there is just putting us to shame. So I, you know, I have moved my office around to make the background look slightly better after our conversation the other day, Tim, with, um, oh, who was it? I can't remember. But anyway, I so I did improve, but now I need to go one step further. I, so and and I've, I've gone backwards because I've been put in the man cave. So yeah. uh, <laughs> now I'm just like in the smallest room of my house. But uh, so, 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 so we, we can... 
we can have some. <laughs> we, we can we can zoom in so that you know I can be oh, intense look at that. on yeah. camera. We can have that. This is like the big data background. We yeah. talked about the the slides over here. Um, or, or this could be anything. It could be like a cartoon from my website. I said no. I said oh. I wanted compelling content that would make people interested in our product, not just marketing. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. It's brilliant. Uh, we, could, we could even try and have some fun here. I don't know if this is going to work. Let's see. I do. While you're can... while you're programming that, I also remember you writing. Was it you recorded? Uh, we didn't even do virtual clothes. Oh, How look at that. that. Hold on then. So what what are you wearing then? Are you seriously wearing a suit? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very dangerous question to go to go down. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go red now. I did have a question for you, but now I'm going people to can ask that on the comments if if they're interested. So if people are interested in so this is the I call it the home TV studio. So on my on my blog teamwellia.com or on my LinkedIn, if you scroll down, you'll see a series of articles on equipment and um, there's a YouTube yes. video that gave the training and so on. That's what I was trying to say. You you give so much away about how you do this. I remember you um, in a hotel room. I'm about to set up my studio because you take it with you. Brilliant. I loved it. It's like you really are very good. And I've got two questions for you. So I'll start with the first one and then let Tim. We could talk to you all day. Um, <clears throat> which social platforms are you on, Timo? Clubhouse is the is the new big thing. I want to know if you're on that, first and foremost. Um, but your uh, pictures on Instagram, I've already told you this, just amaze me because the photos <laughs> you do on Instagram of Paris. So you're on Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Any others? So, um, so I'm not on Club, Club whatever it is. I know, I'm not cool enough for that. Um, so <laughs> yes, I'm on pretty much everything. Uh, Timo Elliott on almost everything. I'm on TikTok even. Um, but so for work, obviously. So Twitter, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, not because the customers are there. They don't spend much time on Twitter in general, but uh, influencers certainly are. Like the people that my customers will turn to for straightforward advice. Um, the analysts spend a lot of time trying to cut through the marketing and get to the, the kernel of truth and explain that to their customers. I like to cut out the middleman and just do that for them. Um, so I spend time on Twitter. And then LinkedIn, obviously, is a, is a great platform where people do spend more time. So I uh, will share articles on, on LinkedIn as well. Mm. Keith is asking, uh, what are, so Keith is from Zurich is on, the, he's like, what is it that you're using to do that? It's amazing. Yeah, I can totally see you, Keith, doing this now. Um, so yeah, he wants to know about all that. You've written a blog, though, haven't you, about the whole yep. studio whole whole background blog with uh, lots more details so uh, yeah go, go and take a look it's um some video some software that allows you take in a video feed change backgrounds and things like that so yes a lot yeah. more detail of how to get it all done so, so just in terms of the linkedin and twitter aspects team it's really interesting that you're almost on twitter to influence the influencers and on linkedin would you say that you're connecting much more with customers directly or is it influencers as well like how does the audience change for you so the um, so the Twitter world was both Twitter works both ways. So it's I'm I'm trying to figure out what the influencers are saying too, right? So I'm keeping track of. So we, for example, we did a big launch event yesterday. So I was very interested in getting some feedback. What do people think? What do they want to know more about? What worked? What didn't work? What uh, What are the next steps? Then um, I don't do as much on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is more 
a place for me to start. So sharing, uh, write, writing articles. The, I write on my blog, timoelliot.com, but then I will put the same article typically on LinkedIn because a lot of people will find it more easily through LinkedIn these days. Um, so that's where if there's a topic that I think is interesting, I will put it there. Or if I've done a presentation and simply want to share it, or I want to explain how this stuff works, uh, I'll put it there too. So LinkedIn for me is more of the sharing platform. Um, and then uh, the Twitter is the more sort of lively place. And then for actually contacting and talking to customers, I, one of the nice things about my job is that I do get to interview customers on a regular basis. Uh, so I get to ask them directly, you know, tell me about your project. What were you trying to do? What were the problems? How did you handle this that I know other people are, other customers have uh, struggled with this aspect of it? How did you handle that? Um, and then I'll write that up and then share it. Got it. Nice. I've, I've got a bit of a question for you, though, Timo. So, um, so I know speaking to some partners in the tech space, they really struggle to activate their employees, especially their technical employees. Um, they just don't really see the point. It takes a bit of time to get active on social, not quite sure, you know, what what what's right for them. Feel it's a bit of a waste of time. Marketing should own it. But you you have embraced this from an early stage. Um, what would your advice be to maybe technical folks within like partners that maybe want to dabble, but are just not sure about it and just think it's too much effort. I mean, so there's no, um, there's no magic wand. Um, it's very much about incentives, but you, I don't think you should force people who aren't interested in sharing to share. Mm -hmm. I don't think that works because you'll just end up with, with content that is clearly written by somebody who doesn't want to be there. But yeah. I think in every organization, there are people um, that do care about their customers being successful. And I think there's an opportunity to say, well, look, why don't we take what you've learned on this project and share it some more? And the, the key thing, I think, is to persuade people that they're not giving up their uh, their power or their knowledge or their kudos. So many technical roles, for example, people have really interesting, great knowledge, but they suffer from the pro two problems. One is they, they it might be something that they feel like that they've spent a lot of time gathering that knowledge and that it gives them a certain, um, it's, it's a, gives them a value yeah. internally and externally. And so they feel like sharing it might dilute that value. So I think very clearly all of the data shows that exactly the opposite is true. If you know something, the more you share it, the more value you're going to get out of it. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, in this world, uh, I, I share everything I do because it, I, I've just seen that it just turns into bigger benefits. So if you can persuade people of that. The other is they might not necessarily have the skills to do it in a social media world and being sort of articulate or like how, how to do it in a way that captures people's attention. Even if there's a kernel of something that's interesting, right, they might need some help in how to communicate that. So uh, that's where marketing can help by surrounding the interesting people with, with the marketing people to help them get what's interesting out to an audience. Yeah. So I think it's less about sort of telling people to do more and more enabling the people that want to, to, to share. So for example, I know one of the things that we do, and I think has worked quite successful, is to get people to write content for people. It's like, instead of trying to force somebody to write a blog, say, look, we're going to take half an hour of your time, an hour of your time, just talk to us, we'll write it all down, and then you double check it, and then we'll publish it. I think that is the kind of approach that, that gets people started. Yeah, we yeah, just... I, oh, yeah, I think that's on. amazing. 
Well, no, no, yeah. go for it, Sarah. I'll. I'll... I was, I was just going to say, we, I, I interviewed earlier this month, actually, a couple of um, techie guys, one that I used to sit next to when I lived in Oslo um, from SAP, uh, to try and get to the nub of, you know, what, what was, the, what's going on? Why, how did you suddenly switch your light on and start becoming social? And one of the things he said is marketing, you know, they can help us, but please don't tell us how to do it. Let us find the medium that suits us. You know, it could be screen sharing videos or we've just released it today, the interview on the, on our blog, but it's, um, it was quite interesting, really, because I thought, well, actually, we can help you do that. But they were like, just leave us alone and just help her, help us, but in our own way. We might not want to write a blog. We might want to do videos. So I just thought that was quite interesting. So and yeah, then I think they're, they're, they're obviously the platforms for helping employees share links um, yeah. that have been created by marketing. I'm, I don't find that very authentic. I, I'm. People have told me it's a good way of getting people into the rhythm and then eventually they step up and they start doing it more customized and they create their own content. It's, mm. so, okay, I can buy that. But but fundamentally, I think people should be really concentrating on what they personally find interesting and sharing that with their, their customers rather than trying to get points by sharing as many... <laughs> Oh, context as possible. I think that goes yeah. back to the AstroTurf. Um, and fundamentally also, I don't think, I mean, I think <laughs> I sometimes say that marketing is useless. Um, <laughs> I'll just leave now then, shall I? Yeah. <laughs> can imagine yeah. how many friends <laughs> that gets me. Uh, Since you're the founder, you can wear the founder hat, Sarah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> just because it's, um, I mean, it, it's, it gets back to that just marketing content. It, it's, uh, Remember the before the pandemic when we used to travel? Um, let's yeah. say you had to choose a hotel. How did you go about choosing a hotel? Tim? TripAdvisor. Oh, sorry. Just answer. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, just um, to, some reviews, peer-to-peer -peer recommendations. That's the kind of thing. Right. Because you didn't, I mean, you might go to the hotel website to check some of the, the factual details, but it's not like you trust the hotel website. They're, they're a bit biased, aren't they? So the same is true of just buying anything these days. You don't really care what the vendor of that product and service has to say. You care about what other people like you care about that product or services. Yeah. So at one level, marketing, what do they have left to do? Right? If you've got this content factory of these people churning out materials, um, why not instead go and take um, what your customers really think about your products and services and amplify that. So less about the content creation and amplifying what you've created and more about making your customers into heroes, hopefully the happy customers. Yeah, uh, and if you don't have happy customers for your product, there's a, there's a limits to what marketing can do. Sure, and I think I think you mentioned some really really interesting points too. Because what I would say is that you and a lot of the people that Sarah and I have interviewed are confident people. There, they've worked it out in social media, probably for themselves, and then they've just been um, you know helped by marketing if they can help them. But you know, quite often you're evangelists in your own right, so you would succeed without a marketing team. I think to be able to encourage uh, our listeners and to employees that are not like you i think the issue is confidence and education i think the really interesting thing that you've said is you know, when you're saying interview someone for an hour and then we'll write up a blog post or or publish something on linkedin and then see how it does you're giving them the confidence that what they're saying is interesting and then you're educating on them on how they could put it together then they see the results and then they start getting in their rhythm and i think 
I think that's a really interesting thing because you don't need too much help. You've got all the technology and you've obviously built this up over a decade. Um, I suppose marketing teams need to, I suppose, change their thinking for how to enable you know, their employees en masse, get that confidence and education. That's really, really tough when there's tens of thousands of, of people. And there's one thing I'd like to mention is that I do believe that there's new opportunities because of this new virtual world that we're living in, in that before there really was, so people are, have always been interested in experts. People want to talk to experts, especially in, in my industry, technology. Um, it's very complex, right? It's not like, it's not like we're selling fizzy, sugary liquids where the marketing is the feeling of it. Right, we sell complex carbohydrates that are hard to understand, but you have lots of choices. And so explaining all of that actually becomes part of the product, becomes part of the customer experience. So rather than marketing, we're sort of a feature of helping people be successful with what they bought with the product for in the first place. Um, now, so expertise is of interest to people. So we work in 30 different industries. We have industry experts, we have product experts. Now, before there was a choice of, those experts could go and visit a customer. So we have people whose job it was to go and visit maybe two customers a day, or we could try and encourage them to write on social media, hey, why can, can you write that up as a blog and then we can share it with more people. Now there's also a middle option, which is they could just stay at home and do 10 meetings a day with a customer or a group of customers. So you can actually shift, there's this middle ground of sort of, uh, it's not really social media, it's not really individual customer stuff, or you could have a retail expert that just does like nonstop one-on-one -on -one meetings with, uh, with your retail customers and prospects. Uh, since everybody is home, it doesn't make any difference anymore, right? So. Yeah. And I think that is a disruption to the normal way that organizations have been working that I, have, I haven't seen many organizations explore fully yet because it means working in new ways. Right? Yeah. But digital transformation applies to everybody. Yeah. Do you know, that reminds me of a story, actually, Timo. And you probably don't remember it, but I'm sure you told me this, that there was a customer in Australia that wanted to speak to somebody. I tell lots of people this, so I really hope it is true. But I, it's stuck <laughs> in my mind. There was a customer in Australia at SAP that wanted an analytics expert. And they were like, yeah, okay, we'll get someone to talk to you. Um, but they wanted you. And I'm fairly, so I don't know if it was you that told me that story, but someone told me that story. And they okay. didn't want any analytics expert. They wanted to talk to you. And that's the power of influence and experts. And, and when you build that credibility and knowledge and, you know, people start following you, you might not know it, but then when they're ready, they want to talk to you. And I just think that's me. Tell me that was true. I, so I, I don't remember <laughs> that, but I will happily pretend that that is true. And it was absolutely me. <laughs> well, I, think, I think it's the it's same. We, we interviewed Rob McCargo from, from PwC on this, and he often got asked for interviews on AI ahead of the chief executive, ahead of you know, lots of other people in PwC, because he was the one showing up on social media. So you know, since you put the effort in, Timo, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that the people who have seen your content and want to speak to you because they bought into your, your personality. Oh, look, he can't say anything. <laughs> um, <Speechless. laughs> do 
you know what, though? You do touch on a point, and I think this as well, Tim. I do, I've always felt, and I thought it was going to happen last year, but I think it's going to happen this year, that redirecting marketing budgets and creating the brand content, but actually supporting their experts' voice on, on you know, through the content they prefer to create. And, and there is a massive benefit for them because it helps them, like you say, the more you share, the more it, you reciprocate, and it just becomes a thing. But um, I just think if we so just read... Yeah, go on. You just you just mentioned something that I care a lot about, which is just um, a lot of and a previous speakers, previous people who have been in your sessions have mentioned this that social media shouldn't come as this afterthought once you've already done all the rest yeah. of your marketing. If anything, I should think it's completely the other way around, where I believe that uh, fundamentally one of the nice things about my role is that I get to talk about things with customers, I get their feedback. And then I can find out what works and what doesn't. And then over time, I can constantly iterate, but through engagement with the customers to find what is interesting, what they want to hear more about. So they have a process of iteration, of refining. Uh, so at the end of that process, I know that I have something that is interesting. Um, once I have something interesting, then I can spend time and effort um, amplifying and trying to get it to, out to more people. So. I think we should do, ideally, I think we'd love to do the same thing at the marketing level. Instead of your campaigns should start with some expert who said, look, this is really interesting. I've, I've talked to all these customers. I know they're really interested in this. Let's do a marketing campaign about that. Yeah. Invite people to this conversation that we're already having. Create a community around it. Um, so really sort of flip the whole marketing machine around to yeah. instead of a factory making it a refinery. Oh, I love that. Factory yeah, I, I, think, I think that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's what, what, what we talk about, Sarah, isn't it? Because a, a lot of the marketing people that we work with, a piece of content lands on their desk and they're told to, to promote it. Yes. Whereas <laughs> if marketing reach out to all the interesting people in the community and then you know, set up a forum where you're debating or you're creating content and then create the content out of what is the most interesting part in the room, as you said, Timo, that completely flips the interesting you know, part of the content. And, and it, it's a shame when, when obviously content, you know, is pushed at marketing by senior people to say, please promote this, or this is really important to me because marketing are, are not, are not given the, the uh, I suppose, the right opportunity. They might not have bought into the content personally. Well, and then again, in my industry, we start with a lot of, we start with, hey, here's this new product. And we spend, then people say, oh, well, how do we make our product interesting? Okay, how do we, you know, what is it about this product that people might be interested in? It really, so I try and do the, exactly the opposite. So not exactly the opposite, but just if I'm given an audience, I'm going to think like, what is that audience likely to be most interested in at this particular moment? Right? In an ideal world, what would I talk about if I didn't have any constraints? I'll start there. Now, is there a way that I can talk about what we sell as part of what they're already interested in. And thankfully, I work for a large organization and we're selling data and you know, digital transformation, which is pretty much in everything we do these days anyway. So it's not hard for me to bring in some aspect of what we do to what people are interested in. Um, and I think, though, the, the net result is much easier than, than trying to you know, push your, your product pitch uphill. I love it. I love that. Keith, Keith just said, can you just social this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you just yes, put that no. out? <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't do that. <laughs> no, I just, but I love that, you know, employee generated content, campaigns morphing, let's have a refinery instead of a factory. You know, to, to the point, 
they created that product for some reason. It was to solve an issue. I think we kind of lose along the way what that issue was about. And maybe we should start talking about that as a way as a, as a conversation. So I think well, again, we, I mean, again, just I have to remind people that the, the vast majority of your marketing is not done by marketing. Yeah. Right? If marketing means anything, it's about creating the perception of your products and services in the customer's mind. Most of that is done by your product and service and the people they talk to and the salespeople they hate and <laughs> you know the, the, the customer support calls and the bugs that aren't fixed and all that. So all of that adds up to a lot more of their image of your organization than the marketing. So I think it's important to marketing to take a step back and look at the big picture of, okay, customer experience and what can we do to improve that customer experience? Um, you know, how do we enable the rest of the organization to uh, to change the perception of our products and services in the most optimal way? I'm going to give you an example, actually, one of our customers, they're using social listening. Now, lots of companies are doing social listening, but they're doing it in a way that they were on the, can you just social this for a long time? But now they're seeing where the conversations are happening. So they're getting their experts in those conversations on platforms like okay. Reddit. And, you know, they didn't even know those conversations were happening on there, but 80% of them are. So now they're moving their experts into those conversations. And, and that that is cool. That's what marketing should be doing, facilitating. And oh, I could get so, uh, I, could, I could get you. And then, and, then, and, the interest, and then the credibility is another important aspect we haven't really touched on is that, um, I mean, I th especially in this world, I think credibility is so important um, that, that people believe what you're saying, that they don't discount it because you're just marketing. Um, so too many people think of marketing and social as like lots of adjectives, the yeah. simple, connected, integrated you know just just endless phrases that uh, that add up to marketing schmumble just like get to the point tell people what they're interested talk to people as if they were you know your your sister-in-law who's running a big ERTP product that's you know you talk to that person you'd be honest about what was you say oh well you know for you these are the advantage of the product this is the part you might struggle with just you should do that for everybody yeah I guess um, it, what's interesting is that Everyone, anyone listening to this would probably say, yeah, of course, that makes perfect sense. But as a marketing <laughs> department, you know, I, I guess it's about, you know, control and, and, and being able to empower and trust, you know, tens of thousands of people, uh, you know, basically good marketing content, you've got a message that you want people to amplify, but it, it's more authentic if they all do it themselves. But obviously, you, you, you give away control, what you gain is trust and the credibility. But this is the, the complete evolution of marketing, isn't it over the over the forthcoming years? I mean, well, one question I like to ask people is uh, marketing people is do you do you feel like you succeed because of your KPIs or despite your KPIs? Oh, that's good. Isn't it? Um, so yeah. How, how do they generally answer? I'll let you guess. Yeah. <laughs> Keith's asked a question about your whole refining. Can you name a company that you would say they do it really well? You know, they're they're more less of the shouty and more of the refinery. Apart from no, I couldn't call out. It's more. It's more. There are there are people and bits of companies that that clearly do it well. I, I don't think there's any one organization that really. That I could say, yes, this is. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, well, I, yes, at one level, I would. I say the the entire new generation of more startup, any technology company that has grown quickly over the last five years, ten years, maybe, 
basically does marketing completely different way. They, they're their product and customer experience led, they use that to create a community of like-minded people, and then they expand that community to, to sell to their new customers and prospects. I mean, that's pretty much the template for any organization that is created now or recently. Um, and it's more just a question of the rest of us <laughs> getting on board that same model, uh, given that we're coming from a different place. Yeah. Yeah, I think to answer Keith's question uh, uh, another way as well is if if companies want to create perception around a, a topic but they don't have expertise in that area, it forces them to ask externally and to develop that community to try and generate some interesting content because they don't have the the internal messages that they can actually push out. So sometimes it's uh, it, it's because of the situation that marketers are in that they actually create that community and create research to to generate interest, which I think is a is a really good outcome. But it's become it, it's it's almost um, you know because of what they don't have, rather than like having too much, then you've got to push out the the messages that are being fed to you. So sometimes I think it happens organically that way. But I, and I think this is, I mean, this is a role of marketing. So people say, well, how do you succeed in marketing? I say the same thing is really understand the customers. You don't have an opinion as a marketer. Your customers have opinions. All you'll do is relaying them to the rest of the organization. So, you know, the product people care about the product. Salespeople care about the sales. Executives care about the, the top and bottom line. Marketing, I think, should be the people that care about the customer experience overall and should understand it better than everybody else. Now, the structure of many organizations is not that. Marketing people are the ones that send out the emails or you know, tell people off for using the logo wrong. It's the other thing I ask people. It's like, are you more likely to get in trouble for creating a boring piece of content that nobody looks at or using the logo wrong in something that's interesting? <laughs> you can guess the answer to that one yes. too. Yeah. Um, so again, it, get, it sort of gets back to incentives and the role of marketing. And uh, I mean, yes, I'm just a fundamental, you can tell I'm passionate about customers. If you care about customers and you care about what customers care about, you can't go wrong. I'm relatively cynical yeah. about marketing and sales and, and companies because my customers are relatively cynical about marketing and sales and so on. So I'm really just trying to mirror <laughs> the re that reality. And for all think... marketers watching this, I'm a marketing person too and feeling thoroughly bruised. But I have to say, you know, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I can't, I think I had my epiphany when I started my own business and realized the value in having sales conversations and the impact that can have on marketing. Um, because a lot of marketers are operating in that, like, their own brick office or whatever but actually the moment you start listening to customers I, I have a bit of a, an alert going off in my head when I'm having a conversation I'm like that's a blog post that's an ebook that's a do you know what I mean I'm thinking like a marketer but I'm speaking to customers because I'm just interested in what they've got to say um, and I think that has made me realize the value of customer insights and conversations on creating content that flies so and, and Tim, you, Tim you had a question we keep talking over you sorry sorry I'm sorry I no, do no, no, it's, Tim, it's, and I'm it's, sorry Tim. I'll put myself on mute there you go no 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 <laughs> it's it's it, it, I, I completely no I think it's a very good point and, and I what I was thinking about is because all three of us have the ability to speak direct to customers and and to, to, to think up the content that's that's really great, and and on this on this particular interview series, I always think about 
what about the people that don't necessarily have that access to the customers or the or the employees that are looking to be inspired and 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 i guess um you know who may not have your expertise timo or may not have your access to all of the content so i i think the advice which you've given which i've really taken on board is is kind of listen to the to the people who are experts in the industry to find the interesting content and then to put what you're passionate about into that content and that that magical formula anybody can find right yeah that no, sounds great to me i mean I, I, and don't get me wrong about marketing i mean i'm passionate about marketing i i believe very strongly that marketing is an incredibly important function it's just that again it's I, I take a sort of very big picture view of of marketing and really try and always bring it back to to what i think is the core um before we try and rebuild what we're doing on top of it and again, I, I get frightened by some of the people that, that concentrate on the systems because the systems can lead to, uh, to you, you can't, I mean, so one thing, I'm an evangelist, right? So ultimately my job is to change a little needle in people's head. So before people have talked to me, they have a certain needle in their head. They're like, this is, this is what I think about this vendor. After I talk to them, hopefully I've like moved that needle a little bit, so they now think that we're more interesting and useful and innovative, and more they're more likely to pay attention to us in the future. But measuring that movement on a dial, I don't know how to do that. I, it's certainly not in sort of number of clicks or or likes or how many people turned up to the pitch. I mean, those things might correlate, but they might not. And um, and so I'm a big believer in more quality, the power of qualitative feedback, not just hard hard numbers, because I think hard numbers can actually be a bit soft when it comes to reality. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. I think we're going to have to wrap up soon. We could, as Sarah said, we can we could talk all day uh, about this, but I've definitely taken away, yeah, just the uh, finding interesting content, putting your passion in, but also not diluting the value of who you are by sharing online. I think that that's, um, that's changed over the years. It's definitely a sort of an American attitude that I learned you know, years back to just spill all of your knowledge um, out there and just like create interesting content and, and more so just, stuff will come back. Right, it's one thing I say to people is like, imagine your next job interview. Um, and I ask you, okay, show me that you are, that you can do your job and that you can help the, the greater community of customers be successful. I can I can just say Google me, right? Um, so it's much easier for for people to. I mean, I think that is a set, the question that people will get in their next job interview. Just like right now, I think every person will get uh, should get a question saying, "How did you rethink the way you worked because the world changed?" Mm. Were you one of the people that led change in your organization that thought about how we could use this horrible situation to do something different and better? Or were you one of the people that sat there and waited for somebody to tell you what to do? Um, right. If you're one of those first people, you, you're hopefully you're going to have a great career. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, I've got so many, I've got so, I don't know what to call these, but I've got so many Timoisms written down. Uh, <laughs> I could almost write <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back over this and write them all up in a, in some kind of content. I feel like Timo is a, a cooler name than Tim. Someone should have just put an O at the end of my, my name. <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah. Oh, Timo, you absolutely—I could listen to you forever. Thank you so much. Really good. Well, thank you. It's really, it's been a pleasure, as you can tell. I really care about this stuff. So, um, yeah, I was trying to put a link in, but it's timoweather.com if people want to see the blog posts or. 
cartoons. I've got cartoons on on marketing, innovation, <laughs> analytics. Um, really, really go there in terms of like creating content that's a little bit different. Yeah. That's that is, you know, because sometimes just being different is enough. I mean, I've talked about analytics for thirty years. I could probably use some of the same presentations I used thirty years ago. Um, but you, you know, just coming up with something that's a little bit different that that is ways of getting the communication out that people pay attention to. That's something that we also could have talked about for half an hour. But anyway, there's go to my blog if you're interested in finding out anything uh, about what we've talked about or reach out to me directly. I'd be happy to. Oh, yeah. that's and, and also, I noticed that one of your tweets, you said that um, your daughter pointed out uh, how well your analytics were on some videos than others. So I guess if we want to influence you, um, we need to uh, you know, try and persuade her to, to, to sort of <laughs> help you encourage content uh, on different topics? Because it seems yeah, like right. she's, she, she gives you the KPIs, right, rather than marketing. Well, so my measurement system is how much her eyes roll. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everyone has a measurement system. That's yours, not the marketing KPIs. That's a, that's a dad's job, though, isn't it? That's what you're supposed so there, to there's, do. <laughs> there's one video I did that was really quite on um, telling customer stories, but I took it down because she was so embarrassed <laughs> for <laughs> on my behalf. Yeah. Now we want to see it, teammate. Yeah. <laughs> Well, fantastic. Maybe well, I'll send you the secret link. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do. Well, um, I hope that was interesting to everyone uh, for watching. Oh. We, we certainly found it really uh, thoroughly enjoyable chat and very, very oh. interesting, very, very different perspective um, from all of our other um, you know, people that we've interviewed and, and really valuable. So thank you very much, Timo. Um, if anyone wants to find more resources, uh, then you can visit the Tribal Impact website or analytical website at our resources section. And we look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks with our next guest. Yeah. Cheers, Timo. Take care now. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Timo. <laughs> Thank you very much.